Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Genesis 37th chapter. I'll read very quickly a few verses and I'll let you be seated. Genesis 37 and verse 5. Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it his brethren and they hated him yet the more. He said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then very quickly, switching to the New Testament, the book of Galatians, chapter number 6. Galatians 6 and verse 9 said, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want to talk to you this afternoon before we leave and you go about your schedule for the rest of the day. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on this subject. Never give up. Turn to somebody and say, say it kind of forceful. Say, never give up. God bless you. You may be seated. The Lord will bless his word today. Sister Watson, I'm going to do this this afternoon just in case you're not with us Wednesday night. Wednesday night is supposed to be the last service that Sister Audrey Watson, this is Sister Brenda McClellan's mother, is with us. She'll be making her way back to her home in Ripley, Mississippi. Very, very close to my old stomping grounds. Uh, my father was born and raised in Mississippi, and my mother and all of my family, my two children and their families live in Mississippi, not all that far from Ripley. Sister Watson, I'm not going to make you stand and greet us today, but just wave your hand, and uh, we love you so much. And we love your son-in-law, too. Brother Darrell, it's good to have you with us today. Amen. I want to read for you something that I came across a little while back that's very interesting. If you're a student of history, especially U.S. history, what I'm about to tell you is one of the most fascinating stories, as far as I'm concerned, that you'll ever hear. The story that I'm going to tell you is a true one, and it has implications and the events that I'm going to read for you actually affected the outcome of the rest of the history of the modern world. And you'll find out why when we get to the end. There was a gentleman who made one move, one decision uh, over 150 years ago that greatly affected the entire course of our nation's history from that day onward. And it actually helped to shape what this country looks like and how it operates within our world today. He was a 34-year-old college teacher, professor of rhetoric. Now, I don't know if they have rhetoric courses in college now. I've never heard of one, but they had them back then. He was a professor of literature at Bowdoin College in Maine. On July 2nd, 1863, he was placed three-quarters of the way up a hill in command of his 
uh, Federal Regiment, that's the North, and was told, whatever you do, you cannot leave here. On that particular morning, he wasn't working as a teacher. He was a colonel in the Union Army in the middle of the Civil War. Now, he wasn't a colonel because he knew any military strategy or battle tactics. He was a colonel because he was the first guy from his hometown to volunteer. Uh, really, that's really how it happened. He walked into the recruiting office and said, uh, I want to join up. And they said, oh, you're a professor in college. We've got ourselves a colonel. The next two guys through the door were majors. Uh, that's basically how it went in those days. And on this particular day of the war, they told this guy, whatever you do, you and your men cannot leave this spot. You must stay here no matter what. The enemy is going to try and breach our line through you. If they get through you, you'll get behind us. they'll get behind us, and they'll catch us on a downhill charge, and they will wipe us all out. He was at the very end of the Union front, the Union line, defending uh, a, a, a short row of low hills right outside the city of, somebody speak it out. You've caught on by now what this is all about. Gettysburg. We do have some history experts among us. If disaster strikes, it will come through you. They told this man, they said, Joshua Chamberlain, you are at the extreme left edge of this Union Army line of 80,000 men that runs from you all the way into that town over there called Gettysburg. You are to hold the line at all costs. I have read uh, and seen other sources where Mr. Chamberlain wrote later on, he said, I didn't know what they meant by that phrase, at all costs, but I simply decided we weren't leaving that hill. So they spent the entire morning building a rock wall on a 650-foot-tall hill called Little Round Top. It's amazing, but the rock wall is still there. You can go see it today. It's 110 yards long with pie plate-sized rocks stacked one on top of the other about thigh high over a gentle rise with a big stone right in the middle. At 2.30 in the afternoon, they took their first charge from the 15th and 47th Alabama regiments. Chamberlain and his men of the 20th Maine Regiment pushed them back. The 15th and 47th Alabama charged again and again. And on the fourth charge, Chamberlain took a bullet dead center in his belt buckle. He fell over, rolled around some, then realizing that he wasn't hurt at all, got back up, kept fighting, and they pushed the Confederates back down the hill again for the fourth time. They had started in Bangor, Maine, six months earlier with 1,000 men in the regiment. They'd started that morning with only 358 left. Now, at this point in the fighting, after half a day's fighting, they're down to 80 and, oh, by the way, completely out of ammunition. Chamberlain's brother, Tom, came over and said, we're leaving, right? Chamberlain said, no, Tom, we're not going anywhere. Sergeant Tozier, the color sergeant, the one who carried the flag, came over and said, sir, shall I sound a retreat? And he said, no, sergeant, we will not retreat. He said, sir, we're out of ammunition. Nobody has any. Chamberlain said, have the men gather ammunition from the dead and the wounded. And the sergeant said, we did that last time. We're out. The 12-year-old boy who was serving as lookout said, they're reforming. 
They're being, being reinforced, and up the hill they came with their weird rebel yell. As they advanced behind trees and fired, then they went behind trees, reloaded, and kept advancing up the hill some more. Chamberlain's brother said to him, For God's sake, Joshua, do something. Say something. Make a move. Make a decision. And so Chamberlain did just that. He said, Fix bayonets. We're out of bullets. We're going to use bayonets. They looked at him like he was crazy. And he probably was. So he yelled at the second time, fix bayonets. And up and down the line, you could hear the sound of steel on steel as these men put their long knives on the barrel of their empty weapons. Then Chamberlain turned to the sergeant and he said, Sergeant, have the men execute on my signal a great right wheel. Swing to left first, do it. We will swing like a door from the fulcrum coming down the hill, swinging from left to right. Do it now. Lieutenant Melcher, the flag major who had just walked up, whispered to the sergeant, what's a great right wheel? And the sergeant said, it's a troop movement. This is an all-out charge. This crazy man means for us to charge. And before anybody could argue with him, Chamberlain himself jumped up on the wall, swung his sword around above his head till it was pointing down the hill and glistening in the sunlight that filtered through the trees and shouted at the top of his lungs, come on, boys, charge, charge, let's get them. And he jumped down off the wall and charged down the hill. And those 80 men jumped over the wall and followed their commander and down the hill into history that most of the people in our country have never even heard about. Because 80 men, 80 men without ammunition, captured over 400 enemy soldiers. Chamberlain laid his sword on the collarbone of an Alabama captain and said, You, sir, are my prisoner. The man turned around and handed to him a fully loaded Navy Colt revolver and said, yes, sir, I am. A moment later, Chamberlain passed one of his own privates uh, who was guarding a hundred men by himself, a hundred of the enemy. The private whispered to Chamberlain, sir, I have no ammunition in my weapon. And Chamberlain said, well, don't tell them. That's an amazing story, isn't it? Very dramatic uh, thing that he did, this downhill charge with nothing but bayonets. And it couldn't have lasted more than a few minutes. But here's the amazing part. Historians say that had Chamberlain not charged that day, then they most likely would have lost that hill. And the South most likely would have won the Battle of Gettysburg. And had the South won at Gettysburg, most historians agree that the South most likely would have won the war. You see, I always thought if the South had won, it would be two countries left, North and South. But historians say that's not what would have happened. They say that had the South won, we would have a continent today upon which were several countries. It would look more like Europe. And historians say, had Chamberlain not charged, that we would more than likely be a country of nine 
or continent of 9 to 13 different countries, which means when Hitler swept across Europe in the 1940s, there would not have existed a United States of America to stand in the breach, to jump into the middle of World War II and help the Allies and Great Britain turn back the tides of Nazi Germany. And when Hirohito, the Japanese emperor, in that same war systematically invaded the islands of the South Pacific, there wouldn't have existed a united anything, much less a country big enough, powerful enough, strong enough, populous enough, and wealthy enough to fight and win a world war on two hemispheres at the same time, the United States of America. It's an amazing thing that happened, isn't it? And it's a country that exists today, the country that you and I live in, because of one man and one move he made about 150 years ago. You say, well, Pastor, what, what was all that for? Well, it leads me to say to somebody here this afternoon a very important word of advice that may change your life, and that advice is this. Never give up. Never give up. I, I know that you, like me, have had the question come into your mind about giving something up. And the question that usually precedes that is a question that we may direct to God. I know I have. I'm sure you have too. The question is why? Why God has circumstances been allowed to get to this point where I feel like giving up? Why did this happen? Why did that have to take place? Why do I have to go through this? Well, the answer isn't one that we always have, but I know this. All of the pain in, in life that comes to us, all of the suffering, all of the hardship, the heartache, the, the undesirables of life, as I call them, the negative stuff, they are never to be excuses for giving up. There was a book written several years back that said, the title went, I believe, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I thought that was a pretty good title. You can't live on this earth very long without realizing that suffering is a part of life and things happen. Sometimes suffering takes its toll on us, and, and the devil loves to use our adverse circumstances against us. I want to tell somebody in this audience today, whether you're listening here in person or online via Facebook, uh, I, I believe I'm talking to people, somebody that the devil has parked his ugly carcass on your shoulder next to your ear in the middle of your circumstances trying to throw this ugly, horrible thought that is straight from the pit of hell itself into your mind and get it to take hold. And that one thought is this, you might as well give up. It's time for you to check out. Quit. Forget it. Whether it's quit your marriage or quit church, which means quit your relationship with God, whatever it might be. Listen, we've got to understand, I hate the devil, 
Because, because he, he gets us to forget sometimes something we've got to understand. There are going to be bad things happen. Yes, bad things happen to good people. That's life. God allows it. He has his reasons. He has his purposes. But one thing you must realize, you must always keep at the forefront of your thinking is this. One thing you must tell yourself, especially in living for God and walking through life in a relationship with God as a target of hell, because you will be. One thing you cannot forget, no matter what happens, is you must have the will. You must have this thought burning in your mind and in your heart that you will never, 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 never give up. Praise God. You just can't do it. You have got to determine in your soul, I'm going to see this thing called life through. Living it for God. Joseph, I read a little bit of his story, just, just a, a few verses, just a, a pinpoint of the whole story. He found himself in just such a situation. He started out as just an ordinary person in ordinary circumstances, in uh, living an ordinary life. And he went through the desert experience. And then he went through the prison experience. And, and I'm not going to tell a lot of his story. You remember how God gave him the dream, the two dreams, and God uh, was just letting Joseph know that he was going to use him for his own purposes, for God's purposes. And God has told some of you that, and it's been a while since he told you that, and those things have yet to be fulfilled in your life. Don't give up. God's still going to do what he promised you. He promised Joseph some things, and Joseph didn't see it come to pass. In fact, just the opposite happened. His brothers hated him. They were jealous because of his father's love for him, and the dreams that he had when he told his brothers, as we read a moment ago, just made them that much madder at him, that much more furious, and they decided to get rid of him. So most of them wanted to kill him, but one of the, the sons, uh, I believe it was Reuben, had a little bit of sense. He said, no, let's, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him to the slave traders, and so he was sold to some men who took him to the land of Egypt where he was sold as a slave, eventually wound up in the house of a rich man who, long story short, had a wife who fell for him and tried to get Joseph to commit sin with her, and he would not do it. He was a righteous man, and so she lied and said he did it anyway, and he wound up in prison. Well, that brings me to some reasons why we should never give up. By the way, I love... Stories with a happy ending. I don't like reading books or watching things that have a sad ending where the hero gets killed or the guy doesn't end up, the hero doesn't end up with the, the princess or the girl. God brought, brought Joseph through all of that. You know the story. Joseph was elevated to the second most powerful individual in the entire country of Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the civilized world at that time, the number two man on the planet. That's how Joseph ended up. Never give up, which brings me to reason number one why we should never give up. It's the promise that God says, if you can endure for a little while, if you don't give up, then you will reap a reward. Paul wrote, we read it a while ago, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The NIV says that like this, if we do not 
give up. And friends, God's rewards are so much better than this world's. God's rewards are always far better than the sorrow or the heartache or the negative uh, territory that you have to travel through on the way to the reward. God's reward to the faithful is always far beyond the descriptions uh, of what we might have in our mind that they're going to be, our expectations. God always, always outlasts and exceeds our expectations. Joseph could have said when he was in the middle of all that junk, wait a minute, I I think something's wrong here. I'm not supposed to be here. This this isn't this wasn't in my dream. God didn't tell me it was supposed to happen like this. I wasn't supposed to end up hated by my brothers. I wasn't supposed to uh, be sold as a slave and carried off captive to a foreign country far away from home. I wasn't supposed to wind up in prison for something I didn't do. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, no, I will not give up. And although Joseph did not know or understand the steps, the process that God was leading him through to get to the place that God had promised him, he remained true to God despite the trials and despite the obstacles he faced. He did not quit. Let me tell somebody something here today. There is no greater reward than that which comes as a result of holding fast to the promises of God, holding fast, gripping tightly to the Word of God. Let me tell somebody something today. Honey, you need to hold on to God's Word and God's promise like you would hold on to a board after fleeing a sinking ship in the middle of the ocean. Your God won't let you drown in whatever it is you're going through. I said, he won't let you drown and he won't let you burn up if it's the fire, whatever it is. Let me know. You need to know that God knew it was going to happen long before you ever saw it coming down the road. And he's got a way of escape for you. And if you can make it through the reward, it's going to be worth it all. We need to be like the man who looked at a postage stamp one day and he said, you know, We need to emulate that. We need to kind of be like a postage stamp. If you think about it, its usefulness consists of simply the ability to stick to something until it gets there. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Did you know that it is only one second many times or even less that distinguishes the winning racehorse from all the other horses in the race? I I read of John Claude Clay, the noted Olympic skier from the 1970s. He's finished one year at the Olympics placing first and won the gold medal that year in downhill skiing. He beat the man who was right behind him in second place by three tenths of a second not one second but three less than half a second three tenths he went on that year uh, after he turned professional after the olympics to make in endorsements what have you three million dollars that's a lot of money in the 70s 
You want to know how much the second place guy made that year? $30,000. All because of three-tenths of a second. Let me tell somebody here this afternoon, the only way you can lose is to quit, is to give up. You, you, you need to get this. God sent me to this pulpit today to tell somebody, it's the one thing you cannot do in life, in living for God, is give up. Don't give up on life itself and don't give up on God. God can handle everything else that you go through. God can bring you through anything with victory. He can take you through the storm that you think will end your life, whether physically or spiritually or financially or what have you. But God can take you through that. He can take you through all of it except one thing, and that is giving up. You can't quit. Never, never, never give up. In the Far East, I understand people there plant a tree called the Chinese bamboo. Everybody Anybody ever heard of the Chinese bamboo plant? Listen to this. During the first four years after they plant this Chinese bamboo, they water, they fertilize it with no result that's visible. Now, now you get what I'm saying. They water and fertilize for year number one. Then they go through year number two. They water it all year long. They fertilize it. Year number three, four years, nothing happens. And then the fifth year, at some point in the fifth year, I am told, they keep applying water and fertilizer, and at some point in that fifth year, the tree starts growing visibly. You can see it start to shoot up. And in five weeks' time, it grows 90 feet in height. So the obvious question is, did that Chinese bamboo plant grow 90 feet in five weeks? Or did it grow 90 feet in five years? Well, the answer is it took five years for that plant to grow 90 feet. Because if at any time during those first four years when nothing was happening, when nothing was going on, if the people had stopped watering and stopped fertilizing and doing what was necessary, that tree wouldn't have made it. It would have died. Let me tell you something. God's doing something in the midst of your trial. God is doing something. It may not seem like anything's happening. And that's when the devil parks himself on your shoulder and says, you might as well give up. Look what God's doing for you. It's a flat big zero, isn't it? And he'll taunt you and he'll tempt you. But you need to understand there's always something going on beneath the surface in God's economy. It's God's style to go slow for a while. Paul said, we'll reap if we faint not, if we don't give up. Payday's coming, somebody. I said, payday's coming. Don't you give in to that temptation that old Slewfoot gives you every once in a while to quit coming to church, to quit living holy, to quit doing what you know is pleasing to God. You keep on doing what God wants you to do, and God will reward you for that when the time comes. Just never, 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 never give up. Peter said, wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. 
I'm telling you, God is a faithful creator. Paul went on to say in the same vein, Paul knew what he was talking about. He said, God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation, he will with everything you go through, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You're going to make it. Turn to somebody right now and say, you're going to make it. Somebody said, well, preacher, there's times when I feel so close to God and I feel his presence and, and I can sense his approval on my life. But there's other times when it just seems like God is a million miles away. How can I have that stability in my walk with God, in my spiritual life that I need when, when I don't feel God at times? Let me tell you something. God's presence is not inconstant. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It is our perception of him that comes and goes. Let me tell you something else. If your relationship with God, if your spiritual victory is dependent upon the ebb and the flow of your emotions or your circumstances or if your confidence in God is, is in those things and what you feel, then, then you're going to pitch and roll. Your life is going to be topsy-turvy like a ship on a stormy sea because very little in our human existence is as undependable as the way we feel from day to day. We've got to understand there's a natural rhythm to our lives, and it's because we're in this flesh still. Though the Holy Ghost, God himself, may live inside of us, just that, that regular progression uh, of life and, and bringing us uh, things, events, and situations, and then we have emotions to deal with those circumstances. We go from negative to positive, back to negative to positive, and, and, and that's just the way it works in an imperfect world. That's the way life is. That is why our faith cannot be grounded in the way we feel at any particular time, but our faith has to be grounded in our prayer life, our connection with God, in our relationship with Him. It's got to be grounded in a careful study of this book, the Word of Almighty God, and it's got to be grounded in a rock-solid will commitment to stand on the rock of the Scripture, the Word of God, and believe it. Believe that it's true when God says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of your world, when it seems like the end of your world. Remember what Paul said, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what that means? Nothing can take you away from God. Nothing can take you away from his firm grasp. You're the only one that can do that. That is why you must never, 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 never give up. Let's stand together. Oh, God, help somebody today. I know some of you are on an emotional roller coaster, even right now. 
The devil's having his way with you. At least that's what it seems like. Remember, Paul said, the word of God is not bound. He wrote that from prison. From a prison cell, dark, musty, dank, rats, the blood caked on his body from the suffering that he, the Apostle Paul, had received. He wrote these words from that kind of a condition wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Until what day, Paul? Until the day they open the prison door and you get to go free again? Until the day you draw your last breath after which they put your cold body in the ground? Or until that day, not just that your trial is over, but this whole life is over. And you walk through those pearly gates after hearing your Lord and your Master who gave you the strength to never give up, say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, I'm telling you, I want to hear those words. I, I, I'm not ready to check out of this life now, but I, I've got to admit to you, I want to hear those words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words more than I've ever wanted to hear them before in my entire life. As every head is bowed and every eye closed. Here's what I understand today. I understand I will never hear those words if I give up. My friend, you can't do it. You've got to count the cost. You've got to count the cost that God said, if you'll live your life for me and with me, I'll make it worth your while. And whatever you're going through this afternoon, whatever your life is affording you right now or not affording you, as the case may be, it's not worth giving up. It's not worth you throwing in the towel and saying, I can't do it. I can't live for God. Or even saying, I can't do it the way I think he wants me to. Don't back down on your principles. Don't back down on what you know deep in your heart God wants you to do in living this life. You will reap if you faint not. If you don't give up, I want every person under the sound of my voice, whether you're here or at home, watching online, right now to take a few moments and just have a talk with God. Just have a talk, a little talk with Jesus. And if there's something wrong, make it right. But everybody, everybody, I, I would to God that you would talk to the Lord before you 
leave this service and say, God, I want you to make sure that the one thing I never do is give up. You may be closer to God than you've ever been your entire life. I want you to find your way to this altar with everybody else and pray that prayer. Everybody, pray that prayer with this pastor today. God, do whatever you have to do to me. I give you permission right now because I know whatever you send me through, it's going to be worth it. Do whatever you have to do to me so that I will never give up. I will never give up. I will never give up. The only way that's going to happen, God, is if you help me by your grace. But I know you don't want me to, so you'll give me everything that I need to make it all the way with victory. I don't understand why some people don't pray during this time of the service. God help me. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.